Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. And we're also um, on 104.9 FM now here in the Philadelphia area. Welcome back to the show. My name is Sue Rocco. Um, if you're listening and you'd like to join us, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions for my guest today, you can call in to 888-329-3306. That's 888 888- 329-3306. And as always, be sure to check out our website for all things related to the show. We have some exciting events coming up over the next month of April. Um, you can find us at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Uh, I'm thrilled this afternoon to have a guest with me who's in the studio, and as you all know, I'm, I'm very happy when I can look across the table at the beautiful face of my, of my guest. Her name is Heidi Alderman. Heidi is the Senior Vice President of Intermediates for the North America uh, Division of BASF Corporation, which is the largest chemical company in the world and headquartered in Germany. Welcome to the show, Heidi. Thank you, Sue. Um, just Looking bring that, yeah, it. if you can bring that a little bit closer. There we go. Terrific. Um, so uh, we had a little chat before the show, which is always wonderful as well. I got a little bit more background on you, and I'd love for you to give the listeners um, a little sense of who you are and where you came from. And you're actually, I'll say, local to Philadelphia growing up in New Jersey. But you were born and raised in Nutley, New Jersey, which I just learned is uh, closer to New York, I'll say, than to Philadelphia. And you were the oldest of three. You had a sister and a brother. And mom and dad, first-generation Americans, came here from Germany. So talk for just a few minutes about your upbringing and and how that has had uh, some effect on you now. Yes, so um, thank you, Sue. So, um, yes, so um, my parents immigrated from Germany in the late 50s, and um, my brother and my sister and I were were born um, in between New Jersey and and, and New York City. So I'm the oldest. My sister, Angela, is four years younger, and um, my brother, Stuart, is two years younger than Angela. And um, for the most part, uh, we moved to... Notley, when I was about four, we grew up in, in Queens. I was actually born in Queens. Oh, okay, good. 
Um, so maybe somewhere in there there's a New Yorker as well. Um, and we grew up um, in uh, on a little street called Parallel Street. Um, I guess it was parallel to a major street. But we grew up in um, a very Italian neighborhood where here's this little German family and everybody in the in the neighborhood was all related to each other, and uh, they 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 definitely embraced us. And you know, as we were talking about before, my my sister actually married the the boy around the corner, and uh, still lives in the in the town next to next to where oh, we grew up. Oh, is that right? Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, so um, we we went through high school there, you know, in in Nutley. Mm-hmm. So for those of you in New Jersey, you know, we always go by the um, Garden State Parkway exits. So exit 150 <laughs> or 151. Right. Um, what, and was it a public school or a private? public? Yeah, mm-hmm. all 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 all, all 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 public um, schools, uh, Nutley, mm-hmm. and, and many. Uh, towns in northern New Jersey have really an excellent educational system there. So, um, and uh, I went to college in New Jersey. I went to college at Stevens Institute of Technology, and mm-hmm. and then after college, lived in the Philadelphia area for uh, over 20 years. And you know, went to Drexel. You said your son is going there now yes. um, for my master's in chemical engineering, and then. Um, went to Wharton for um, the Wharton Management Program. Okay, wonderful. So what kinds of activities were you involved in in high school? Were you an athlete or were you student council or what were you involved in? You know, I was I was uh, involved in a lot of different activities. Uh, um, I wasn't particularly an athlete, but I liked to ski, so I was in the, in the ski club and um, I liked uh, to do plays, so did plays oh, every okay. every now and then, but you know, not that much. Yeah. Um, and uh, mostly, I was kind of a nerd. I studied quite a bit in, in in high school, so. And did very well in math and science. Obviously. Yes, did very well in math and science, which is uh, why I was sort of guided to go into engineering. Right. Well, you know, we talk a lot on the show about the STEM field and young girls and women. And and the good news is today there's a lot of um, programs encouraging young girls to pursue that field if that's where their interest lies. There's no reason they shouldn't. Um, Were there, you know, was it a challenge for you being a young girl and and being good at math and science to the point where you, you know, really were only going to pursue one avenue as a career um, and not the typical uh, fields that most young girls think they should go into. Yeah. Well, I, I think I had a very unique upbringing because um, my parents grew up in the war in Germany, and um, they never had a chance to have education. And one of the things, because the war disrupted everything, Right. and I know, um, you know, one of the things, my sister and my brother will remember this as well, my mother always used to talk about how everything can be taken away from you except for your education. What you have, you know, inside your head is something that you'll have for the rest of your life. Mm. So, you know, from a very early age, um, I think my, our parents impressed upon us, it didn't matter if we were a boy or a girl, the, the value of education and, and of hard work. And because they didn't grow up in the educational system here in the U.S., in, in some ways it was good, in some ways it was a challenge. Um, but it was good because they didn't have any preconceived notions about, you know, girls in the U.S., they go into these fields and, and not these fields, and only boys go into these fields. So they always really just encouraged us to, to, to go wherever our our interests, you know, lied. Um, so, but on the other hand, it was a challenge because especially – for me, being the first, we know how big a part of everyone's lives are in high school when you get take the PSATs and the SATs and you go to college visits and all that kind of stuff. And not having grown up here, my parents really didn't know about any of that stuff. Guidance the counselors, system. The, system, the system, you know, how would you do? And so... I, I had to I had to figure that out. So it's kind of it was it was it was a good thing in one way and in a challenge in another way. Um, but I do think even today, even though we say girls can be anything that they want to be, I, I think in general the educational system, you know, our teachers don't necessarily guide girls into the STEM or or STEP fields, and yeah. I think that's something that we as a chemical or a manufacturing industry really need to band together to, to change 
the misconceptions about, you know, why women shouldn't go into those fields. They should go into those fields because, you know, you can really make great contributions. You can make a great living. And, you know, frankly, you know, women can contribute different skills and, and make different impacts than, than men do. Yeah. T- t- talk about that for a few minutes. What do you think is specifically are the gifts that women have that perhaps men do not that um, – that, that allow them to be, you know, very uh, wonderful contributors in, in any of the STEM fields? Well, I mean, I, you know, we can always stereotype, right, that right. men are this way and women are this way, and you can always find examples where, where the opposite happens. Venus and Mars, as they say. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And um, But I, I've seen it a lot in my career because I've always replaced men. You know, I was a, the successor to a man. And pretty much to a T, the men were very much focused on we, we need to hit the business results and we're going to do it this way and, and very directive. And I wouldn't say that I'm any less focused on business results or wanting to win in the marketplace, but I think I'm, and I think in general, women, again, stereotyping, are much more focused on people and and creating that type of environment where people can be successful and they want to work hard. And if you create that environment, if you communicate, we're going from point A to point B, and every single person is important, and this is this is your role, and you create an environment where it's fun to work, where people feel part of something, and people feel that you as my boss or my leader, you care about me and you care about my career, and you make sure others care about it, then I almost think results take care of themselves. Mm, yes. And I think that women focus much more on that wanting to make an impact mm. on, the, on the culture, et cetera. Um, and, you know, just looking at some of the guests that you've had on your show, you know, we've talked about that too, how some of them have really done some amazing things about trying to make an impact on the world. And yes. so, you know, I think women are are are, are t- tend to focus on collaborating and and working through people to make those things happen rather than through a through directives. Right. You know, there's there's probably a stereotype as well that that women and, and men who are um, you know, the math science wizards of the world somehow um, struggle with interpersonal skills, you know, or perhaps that's not their their um, their best asset. Did you have any? Uh, clearly, you do not. But I mean, um, you you were intellectually very bright, and you know managed to work your way through Wharton and get a master's degree. By the way, um, did you always have those interpersonal skills as well with you? Because I can see it and hear it in in the way that you speak. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, but I mean, again, I think that's a stereotype. You mm-hmm. you think that engineers and scientists are people with white lab coats and nerdy glasses and, and pocket protectors. And, um, yes, I'm, I'm sure there are <laughs> people that are like that in those fields. But, like, in everything, you have to have people that can sell their ideas. They have to be able to communicate, okay, number one, why is this a problem? And what could be potential solutions for this problem? And what's the process that we are going to use to you know, wend our way through eliminating different options and then how are we going to solve this? So you you need to have people that, you know, can articulate and can um, influence and impact decisions. And you you also need to have people that not only are technically capable but can lead people. So would you say, I mean, my guess is, though, that you – you need to have the interpersonal skills to move into a leadership position. You can be successful and do the work in chemistry, but if you don't have those interpersonal skills. Um, you, when I, you know, was reading about your career, you really worked your way right up the, the corporate ladder. In 2003, you were the business director of Functional Polymers. You, in 2008, you were senior vice president of procurement in North America. In 2011, uh, you moved into senior vice president of the company's North American petrochemicals business. Um, And just in 2016, you moved into your current role as senior vice president. So you consistently worked your way through uh, up throughout this company, which is a global company. And I'm going to add my guess is that, you know, people recognized 
your interpersonal skills in addition to your knowledge and expertise in, in chemistry. Um, tell me how that how that came about, and did you receive feedback from colleagues and higher-ups that, that spoke to you and said, you know what, we think that you'd be best suited for this next position at this next level? Yeah. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a big question. So, um, you know, why, why do I, I feel, let's say, that I've been successful and, and selected for different leadership positions? Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that, that sets me apart, other than the fact, you know, still that um, I'm one of relatively few female executives in the industry. Although, you know, that that is that is changing, and I'm, I'm really, glad, you know, BASF is really a, a part of that. But I, I think number one, part of it is having the right steps in your background. But a lot of it is, it's always being in the right place at the right time, right? You, there, there has to be an opportunity, and you have to be ready for an opportunity and, and have that background. But I think what, what sets me apart is that I have a really strong track record of, of being a people leader. Um, I, I, I feel that in my title – doesn't does it it doesn't it means a lot to other people and I think a lot of people are intimidated by oh senior vice president but I sort of feel I I really I don't put a lot of stock in in, in my title and I feel I'm just like like everybody else I'm still little Heidi from Nutley New Jersey <laughs> um, but I, I I care about people um, and I I do want to make that impact and I'm honest with people. Uh, I think one of the most difficult things about leading people is giving people feedback, right? And I think because it's difficult, a lot of people don't do it, right? It's human nature, you know, that last thing that you don't want to do, it gets to the bottom of your list and, and maybe you don't you don't do that because um, you don't have time. And, you know, for me, the, the people-related things are always at the top of my list. And I'm honest with people. I, I And I, I'm at the point where... I want to give them feedback because I want to help them, and I want to help them succeed. Um, and um, I think, you know, just you know, just looking back, I think that's a, that's a skill that people have to grow into because leading people, leading a business, um, you know, having 500, 600, 700 people in your organization, sometimes that's really tough. All of the human elements of it. And so, um, one of the things that, like always, that I always remember is. Treat people as you wish to be treated, and you know, as long as you're treating people fairly, and and you keep that in your mind, um, I think I think that's the most important thing. And so, um, I believe that's why I was selected for a number of, of different positions because of my focus on, on 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 people leadership on the environment. Of course, I had a track record of delivering results as 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 well, but you know, I, I think in a lot of cases. I went to organizations that needed some TLC. Okay. and But you do also – you have to put yourself out there and you have to raise your hand and say, I'm willing to do, you know, a little extra here. Um, let me ask you, have, did you ever have an experience in your career where you felt um, there was any kind of prejudice because you were a woman? And if so, how did you deal with that? You know, people have asked me that question before, and – I honestly have to say I never felt that way. Good. That that doesn't mean there wasn't. I don't know if there were opportunities that I didn't get um, from you know college. I was one a few women you know in 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 engineering. So I never felt uncomfortable in in that type of environment. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you know what the percentage was when you were in school? I, it was probably ten to one. It was probably ten percent, and I, I'm sure it's probably higher now. You know, overall engineering, I'm guessing it's more like twenty percent or twenty-five percent now. Mm-hmm. So, um, what's really interesting, if you look at all the various careers between medicine and law and psychology and others, if you track, you know, back going, let's say, into the fifties. Um, the percentage of men and women getting degrees in almost all the fields. You know, it used to be, you know, there were a lot more men than women. Mm-hmm. And now, for the most part, except for engineering, there are more women graduating 
in those fields than men. In fact, I think almost 60% of of women, 60% of all degrees are gained by women. But engineering is still, there's still a really big gap. Yes, and I've heard that statistic. So what surprises me is that we're still lacking, though, as far as leadership. So there's this influx of of young women going into these fields, but there's still a very small percent um, that are at the top. But, you know, I mean, that's, you know, one of the things, you know, we talked about before is I think role models are, are really, really important. So, you know, we talked about my mother. Yeah, my I wanted to go back to was that. Ama- was an amazing, you know, role model. Um, of course, you know, I'll think about that at the time, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're growing up and, you know, in your teenage years and you're getting in trouble and, you know, all that kind <laughs> of stuff. And you're glad she's at work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, you know, you know, think about all of those things about, she really was an amazing role model, and, you know, I think, you know, today's girls either don't have role models, either parents or teachers, and then even women that do tend to go into, let's say, a STEM field, they don't, if they don't see anybody that looks like them up mm-hmm. at the top, um, they just wonder, am I in the right place? Can I really succeed here? Are people, am I going to feel included? Are people going to listen to me? You know, that kind of thing. And so, you know, I think that's, that's one thing that keeps women back because they don't see, they don't see the role models. Right. And I think the other thing that's really, really important, um, for, for women to be successful is having a really strong support network, you know, a, a strong either family or partner, et cetera. And, you know, that's not rocket science because when you think about all, all of the years when men were the bread, you know, the breadwinners and the women were home, you know, raising the children and keeping the house and everything, they had, that was their support network that allowed, you know, the men to focus on their careers. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'm lucky that I have a great support network with, you know, my husband and, and my family. And so I think that's, that's really important. So yeah. I think those two things could tend to keep women away from the field. Misconceptions, you know, that, you know, engineering, manufacturing, you know, it's dirty work. And it's it's really not. It's exciting. I mean, we talked about this, too, you know, before the show, is that chemi- you know, when you think about chemistry, we couldn't have life as we know it today without without chemistry. You know, everything, you know, that we eat, all of the... Um, modern advances in, in medicines, the things that we wear, the things that we drive, you know. Everything the, that we see, everything right? Everything that, that's not that we see, you know. Yeah. Um, so, um, and you really have, and an, you have the ability to make an impact. And there are a lot of problems still in the world when you look at um, how much farmland there is still available, you know, in the world. Uh, places that don't have water, you know, or, or drinkable water. And, you know, chemistry can help solve that. So I think, you know, being part of uh, STEM or STEP, you know, production fields gets you to be part of solving some of the world's really, really big, big problems. Yes, which I think women innately see a bigger picture always, right, right? and, and right. want to solve problems. Right. Um, <clears throat> I want to go back for a minute. You talked about role models, and mm-hmm. I know that your mom was a huge role model mm-hmm. for you, and I, I would love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about her story because I would say that she was working a working mother at a time when most women were home raising children, and to come to the United States um, and learn a new culture and a new way of living is a very, very hard thing to do. Talk to about your mom yeah. for a couple of minutes. Well. I'm not sure I can do this without crying, but yeah, my, my parents came to the United States in the in the late '50s, and as I said, they were they were um, they grew up during the war, and um, you know basically their families were separated, and you know everything was was taken away from them, and you know they really came to the U.S. and they lived the you know the American dream where they you know they built a business, they they raised three kids and, and put them through to college. And um, at, at a time when, I mean, think how how difficult that was to, you know, after you're, you know, you're separated from your family, you all get back together again, you know, after the war. But, you know, you didn't have cell phones then. And, you, I mean, of course you had airline travel, but, you know, it wasn't cheap. And you had telephones, but, you know, you, you weren't, talking, you know, all the time. So, you know, you wrote letters and 
I just think about how difficult that was for my mother, mm. particularly my mother, you know, to be separated from, you know, her family, you know, her parents and her sister and, and you know, her brother. It's really tough. Um, but, you know, my parents, they, they forged together a business. They imported surgical instruments. And my father was sort of the salesman type, the outgoing person, and my mother was the shy, sort of the studious one, but, you know, the, the bookkeeper. Keeping and it all together behind it, the scenes. Keeping it all together, you know, <laughs> doing the taxes and, right. you know, the, the, the numbers, you know, the numbers part of it. And, you know, like I said, they um, – they had a small mom and pop business, and when how they retired, they get, how they did sold they it. get into that surgical instrument? Well, my father um, was an apprentice um, in Germany in a surgical instrument factory. Okay. So he he worked his way up, learning how to make surgical instruments. He actually wasn't purchasing, so man, I guess maybe something in purchasing was in my blood, you know, way yeah. back then. Um, and then he went into sales, and his company transferred him. To the United States. Okay. And what year was that? Do okay. you remember? I, don't know. I wasn't born yet, so. No. <laughs> <laughs> but probably in the 50s. In the 50s. In the 50s. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, sometime between 1952 and when my parents were married, and 1959 when I was born. So somewhere yeah, in that somewhere in, in that in that time period. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so watching your mom, you know, is always the best lesson, right? To to see. Uh, your mother out there doing it and, and being successful and, and having conversations with you about work and responsibility. And, but at the same time, you were she was working and you were coming home and she was not there. Was yeah. that, you know, how would you weigh the difference between that and, and the lessons learned from your mom? Well, and, you know, like I said, we, we grew up in this Italian neighborhood, and Aunt Annie next door used to watch us, you know, after, um, after school and, you know, before my parents um, – came home from work and but we know we all had we all had tasks we all had assignments you know we had to work you know we had to get everything right we had a vacuum we had to clean we had to you know to do to do other things we had to do the dishes you know all those kinds of things so you know I I think that was we got allowance you know for it but Mm. I think that that was also an example right Mm -hmm. of you know always chipping in you know work before play um I wish my husband would know that lesson but (laughs) (laughs) I hope he's not listening. (laughs) (laughs) I hope he is. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I never, I don't think any of us ever felt like, you know, we were abandoned because our parents weren't You didn't have her there and then suddenly she wasn't there. Yeah. Right. You know, so, um, so it was never, it was never really an issue, you know, for us. And we grew up in a very family oriented neighborhood, you know, was, a time, you know, all the kids we used to we used to play in the streets, and you know. Did everyone have a key to everyone else's house? That's I'm sure. <laughs> I guess. Can you imagine that today? Yeah, well, no. I'm sure nobody locked doors. You know, right? Back, back doors were open, right? You know, this so. aunt Annie you, you mentioned mm-hmm. was she a relative or no, she was a neighborhood woman who you? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, certainly, you know, to have to be a young child and have chores and responsibilities, and then you know, an allowance. I just think that's a great. Um, way to grow up and teach children about money. Uh, we talk about this on the show a lot as right. well. You can't just learn math. You really have to learn about what money can do for you and how to save and invest. And I'd love to see more of that in school um, as young as kindergarten, yeah. you know, t- learning about money. Yeah. I think, too, is that um, I think parents always have, you know, they want their children to have better than than, than they have. Mm-hmm. And I think Sometimes that's a problem nowadays because the kids get everything right. and they, they don't have that experience where they have to work for something and they and then they don't really appreciate what they have because mm-hmm. they haven't worked for it. Yeah. So I, I do think that's a problem in some cases. Yeah. Um, tell me about you're, – you're the chair of a national association um, of manufacturers and there's a Step Ahead program. I'd love for you to talk about that program, how it came about – and what kinds of things um, is the organization doing that's actionable to try to support mm-hmm. and encourage more women in manufacturing? Okay. So um, this is actually an offshoot of the National Association of Manufacturers okay. and, and their Manufacturing Institute. And they have a program called Step Ahead. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually the chair of that program this year. And I was the vice chair last year, but the, the chair actually left um, very suddenly, and I was sort of thrust into the chair position 
kind of at, at the very happens. end, <laughs> you know, and I just had to fake it, you know, like we sometimes, you know, have to do. Is it a one-year term? This it's, year? A one, yeah. it's a one-year okay. term, so mine just happened to be a little bit longer. But um, step ahead, so step science, technology, engineering, production, mm-hmm. um, is really all about, um, number one, recognizing women for their contributions to manufacturing. So that's not just chemical manufacturing, it's all of manufacturing. So recognizing both um, current leaders in the manufacturing industry as well as emerging talent in the industry. And taking that cohort of women and using them to, let's say, pay it forward, to go back to their companies, go back to their communities, and create awareness, events, other things like that, that attract that next generation of young women, girls, high school, grade school, whatever, middle school, to move into um, the, the STEM step fields. So you might say, well, that, that's really nice, but why is that important? Um, by um, Number one, all the studies that have been done show that by 2020, there's going to be a gap of about 2 million workers to fill manufacturing jobs in this country. And unless you tap into the female workforce, you're not gonna fill you're not gonna fill that gap. And I'm gonna make the statistic up, but it's it's probably close enough that if you look at in general, um, women only make up about twenty to twenty five percent of manufacturing jobs. They're they're underrepresented versus versus the rest of you know, versus in, in the workforce there. And so um, number one, we need women why, because can I ask why is there going to be that gap by 2020? Well, just I mean, if you just look at the projected growth of our economy and um, different different industries, they're just pro- projecting that. If you particularly if you look at the demographics of the workforce, I mean, we see that at BASF as well um, that we have a large percentage of our employees that are going to retire in the next five to ten years okay. um, and you just can't re- you can't replace that that knowledge gap it's it's a big it's a big concern so mm-hmm. you know we need we need women uh, number one to just to fill those roles but you know for you know the reasons that you know I talked about before is that women can make a real contribution um, because of the different skills you know that they that they bring to the table Um there's, there have also been a lot of studies lately that have been, well, not lately, but over the last years, in general about diversity. So this is not just gender diversity, but also ethnic diversity. If you look at companies that have diverse like uh, leadership teams or boards, um, all the studies show that those companies are much more profitable, and they they all relate that to unleashing the power of innovation. If you have people that think differently, mm-hmm. you come up with with a with a better idea than if people all think the same and do the same thing over and over again. So, um, you know, we need we need women. Yeah. So, yeah, so I was uh, sort of thrust in the the chair role late in the in the program last year. So, basically I was I was just speaking. I didn't really have uh, a part in developing the uh, the agenda. And the um, the Step Ahead Awards is in Washington D.C. next month. Okay. I think April nineteenth to the twenty first. Mm-hmm. And um, we're, we will. It's actually the, the fifth anniversary, and we will be honoring about I think about a hundred, a hundred thirty women. Again, both leaders. Nationally, it's a national, national. It's a national program. Mm-hmm. It'll be in Washington D.C. Um, again, leaders, um, seasoned leaders, as well as emerging emerging female talent. Um, and um, I definitely had you know a hand in, in helping to shape the the agenda uh, for women that are in all different points of their career, and um, it'll be an exciting program. Looking looking forward to it. Great. I, I want to talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break. We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors, okay. and we'll be right back with Heidi Alderman. Kristen Hillsley, financial advisor of the Foley Hillsley Group, with a big announcement. Last fall, I hosted a women's lifestyle conference to help the women who do it all take control of their finances. Now I'm excited to an- announce a new partnership with Women to Watch Media to help show women how to own their financial future. We'll have newsletter articles, 
blog posts, announcements of live events, and a lot more. All available at womentowatch.net and our own website, foleyhillsleygroup.com. I'm thrilled about this new partnership, and I look forward to being your resource for all things financial. Stay tuned to learn more or visit our website at foleyhillsleygroup.com. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird and Company, member SIPC. Log on to foleyhillsleygroup.com to learn more. That's F-O-L-E-Y-H-I-L-L-S-L-E-Y group.com. Or call 610-238-6636. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography and automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. I'm pleased to announce the opening of the region's newest, most innovative gynecology practice in the Philadelphia area, Montgomery Gynecology. Led by Dr. Hima Janogada in a welcoming boutique-style setting, she and her team are committed to providing the highest standard of cutting-edge care without losing the personal touch that is so very important in today's world. With a particular interest in minimally invasive surgical options, Dr. Hema completed advanced training in robotic surgery and is one of only two surgeons in Montgomery County who performs this highly specialized single-site robotic surgery. For more information on the opening of this exciting new practice in the convenient Plymouth Meeting location, go to www.montgomerygyn.com or call 215-444-444. 3411. That's MontgomeryGYN.com or call 215-444-3411 to make an appointment today. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Uh, we're also live on 104.9 FM as well. This afternoon, I'm joined by Heidi Alderman, and Heidi is Senior Vice President um, of Intermediates for North America at BASF Corporation, which is the largest chemical company in the world, um, headquartered in Germany. Um, you know, let's talk for a few minutes about what your company, BASF, is doing specifically um, to support women's leadership. Okay. Well, I mean, to follow back up on what we were talking about before, the, the Step Ahead Awards, BASF is, is, a, is a sponsor, you know, for that program. So that's just Terrific. one minor thing. Right. But, um, you know, I actually feel very lucky that uh, improving diversity has really been a key focus for us for – I mean, I've been with the company for 14 years, so at least since since I've been with the company, um, and it's it's been an environment that has allowed me also to to flourish and to, and to help other women. Um, we have a, a group called Women in Leadership, so um, I was one of the original founding members from I would say in about 10 plus years ago, where we had I think eight executive women in North America at the VP level, and probably now we probably have at least 25 between VP, a senior VP, and executive VPs in, in North America alone. So, um, and that group of women leaders, you know, really chartered, um, we chartered ourselves to not only strengthen our own leadership skills, um, create a forum for us to share, to vent, um, but 
you know, also to help BASF really create that pipeline of, of, of women. Yeah. So I think, you know, between the women in leadership, um, we have um, – we also sponsor um, – there's an industry organization called AFPM, the American Fuel and Petrochemical Manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And um, this is AFPM. So this is uh, kind of an industry that's to- totally male-dominated, and it, they have their annual meeting um, – every year in San Antonio in March, and I was just there, you know, beginning part of last week, and you see when you go in how male-dominated the industry still is. Mm-hmm. And so BASF sponsors, and, you know, was actually, you know, my idea three years ago, a women in petrochemical networking event where women from all industries, you know, from all companies in, in this industry come together, and it started out with, you know, 100 women, and we had over 200 women you know, that this year comes so they can network and feel, I don't know, satisfaction that, yes, I am not alone in this industry. There there are others. Um, also, if you look at BASF and, and our, our quest to become more diverse um, over the last year, you know, last year's everything, you know, that we're, we're doing has really culminated in us being recognized. Um, Diversity, Inc., for the last three years has named us in the top 50 I think last year we were in the top 25 in Diversity Inc.'s. I think um, I think maybe the only chemical company in that in that Terrific. in that list. That's wonderful. And there are other there are other industry accolades that we've gotten in you know from engineering, recruiting organizations, and things like that. Um, we really focus a lot at recruiting at the university level mm-hmm. and recruiting um, a disproportionate share of of women and minorities. Because we, we're starting from, you know, a smaller base, you know, with I'd say 22% of our population is women. And so we're recruiting to really try to fill that, that pipeline of, of women at an early age. Um, we are really encouraging um, leaders to uh, mentor women. Um, and that's one of the things I really spend a lot of time on is is mentoring and also sponsoring women, mm-hmm. which, you know, there's there's a big difference there between is. mentoring and, and, and sponsoring. And I think that's sort of something that's changed over the last couple of years for, to, you know, to kind of giving advice and listening and asking questions to, you know, when you see some really young talent out there that has tremendous leadership potential, really pushing them and, and pulling them into different roles and giving them exposure and things like that. Speaking on their behalf. Speaking right, on the their right behalf, people. putting them in the right type of assignments, giving them that, that opportunity to, to shine. And I think that's one of the ways we've changed over the last couple of years from sort of mentoring to you know, also that that active sponsorship. So, we we have employee resource groups. We have women in business groups, women in construction groups. So, the whole environment is is really about creating an environment of diversity and inclusion. How about the men at BASF? Are are um, as far as the programs? Um, I think it's so important to bring men into these conversations, right? And we can't just be rooms full of women cheering each other on, um, you know, are there advocates and are they um, regularly invited to attend some of the programs and contribute? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 can't, I can't argue with you on that um, because we, we, can't do it without, we can't do it without the men. Right. So, you know, definitely when I look at my leadership team, my, my previous role, my leadership team, if I look at the executive leadership team within BASF Corporation, you know, I think all of the men are 100% behind it. And we, we regularly talk about, about, about diversity, the things that we're doing. Um, you know, we're, if you look at all of the job interviews, we require that interview panels, so the people that are interviewing are 50% diverse, and we require that the interviewers, the inter, the candidates are 50% diverse because if you don't have an interview, a, a diverse panel of, of yes, candidates, yes, you're not hiring. That's right. That's diverse, right. So, the so diversity um, of questions. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so definitely, uh, you know, we, we we cannot do it with without the men, and they are 78% of our our workforce. And yeah. uh, I, I also think it um, we we've done a lot, and I, we probably could do more in this. Is that um, educating all of us about the differences between men and women in terms of how we communicate that women can sometimes uh, feel 
and act less confident. Um, that doesn't mean they are any less competent, but there have actually been some really good articles about confidence and not competence sometimes get you gets you the job. And so I spend a lot of time talking to men and, and to women um, about how to be perceived to be more competent by just tweaking, you know, little mannerisms, you know, of, of speech. Um, Even when you're in those moments of, of insecurity, right, and at, self-doubt. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. How do you, let, you know, um, we, we've talked about your successes and, and um, people know, you know, what you do and where you've been, but let's talk about what some of your own personal challenges are in the workplace and how you move through those moments. Yeah. What are some of your, what's some of your self-talk? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think an excellent book for all women to read is Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. Mm -hmm. And you may not agree with everything that she has to say, but there are a lot of things that I think would resonate with with most women. Um, I I think, you know, for for myself, um, and I don't think I'm any different from other women, is that any job that I've had, you're recreating yourself. You have a new boss. You have a new team. It may be the same company, but maybe it's a different location. So you're starting all over again. So everybody has those those doubts about, you know, can 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 I do it? Um, and like I said, one of my mottos is sort of fake it fake it till you till you feel it. And I mean, I'm a fairly outgoing person, and you don't know how many times people I, I'm at a meeting and there's a large group of people, and like the last minute they they will say. Oh, would you mind just saying a few words? And I have to, you know, pull, Off the cuff. pull words out of, you know, myself, you know, to come up with some kind of coherent story. And that's, again, and I'm outgoing, so that's not, you know, but still was very, you know, very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I've, so, I mean, job-wise, I've had lots of challenges. Um, you know, certainly having had a lot of, being a lot of, having had a lot of firsts, you know, throughout my career, sometimes being, often being the only woman and, um, you know, feeling uncomfortable but but trying not to show it and trying to contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's one of the things sometimes women hold back because they see I'm the only one and they, they don't feel confident enough to, to speak up. And it's sort of the self-fulfilling fulfilling prophecy. So, you know, I feel that every single job I've had, I've always had, you know, moments of, of self-doubt. Um, other challenges, I've, I've um, you know, we talked about my mother and how what a big role model she was for me, and four years ago she died of Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And to see such a strong, smart woman, you know, go through that and disappear, you know, mentally is really tough. And, you know, my sister and I, I mean, sometimes we laugh, but... Um, Every time we forget something, we're like, oh, my God, you know, it's happening, it's happening to us, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, we're just busy people with our mind, you know, elsewhere. So I think, you know, for us as a family, that was a really big challenge, you know. I mean, you know, um, none of us are um, void of uh, personal issues, challenges, and losses, right? And it's when you – when something is happening in your personal life with your family and you have to then go into your job – um, I think companies should be more um, aware of that and respectful that that people have these issues. Is 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 your place of work a place where you felt you could go in and be talking to your colleagues openly about what was happening, or did you have to kind of put on that corporate, you know, face and uh, and and go in and pretend all was okay at home? No, I mean I. I I, I feel that I could ha- always be myself, you know, and I mean, my family is everything to me. So, so, but that is really important. And I think, you know, sort of getting to the topic about women, I think that's one of the things that they bring to the workplace. So you can have this really great environment that supports all of that kind of stuff, but unless you have an individual manager, that really cares about people and and is attuned to that, you know. And and I think women are more attuned to those kinds of things and and can, you know, if someone maybe that you've counted on has not been performing in their job, right? You know, a, a man might say, hey, you know, you've got to get you got to do this, you know, et cetera, get it done by such and such. And a woman might approach it 
is there something wrong? Is everything okay? Is everything okay? Yes. Um, yeah. Because I noticed that you know you're behaving differently, and you know all of those those kinds of things. So, no, I mean I I definitely fe- felt that at that time that I could talk about it. Um, although you know I, I have to say you know I had a team of of men and women and. I think the women were much more comfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times the men just like, just really didn't know what to say. And right. I, I will say, even to this day, like two colleagues, um, two men never said, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss or anything. Cause I just think they just either didn't think about it or they just didn't know what to say or they were uncomfortable with it. And I think women are, can be more empathetic. Yes. And, and I guess that's stereotyping because again, it could be, it could be just the opposite. So, I think that was a challenge, you know, to, to work through. It was, a, it was a challenge for, you know, our family as well. Um, when my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, my husband and I were actually living in Charlotte, North Carolina. My brother and my sister always lived in New Jersey. And then I had an opportunity, but I also asked for it to come back, to come to New Jersey when I, when I had the procurement role so I could be closer to my mother. And then... Um, and then we moved to to Houston in 2011, and my mother died in 2012. And I mean, it's a challenge for us for us all because, you know, I was far away, so I had guilt, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And you know, my sister and my brother were the primary caregivers, especially my sister. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure she had resentment that you know, here's Heidi could live this great life in Texas and everything, and. You know, we had to work our way through that, and, yep. and we did. Yeah, you, know? you do the best you can. Yeah. You do the best you so can. So that, that was like a big a big personal challenge. I mean, I, I'd say also, you know, I've had, you know, some other challenges where um, I tried to help other women and um, it backfired on me and, and was betrayed by them, but it's not stopping me from, from helping other women. Um, I guess I just picked the wrong person to help, you know, and yeah. learn my lesson, right? But, you know, I think, like I said, fake it till you feel it. Um, you know, I would also say one of my favorite quotes, since you asked me that before, is is evolution, not revolution. Um, I, I like to see change. Um, and um, But if you wait until something is perfect to implement something, you know, you're not. Nothing's ever going to change because nothing ever is perfect. And so, to me, it's more important to make positive to make positive progress. Well, and also be able to, you know, evolution, be able to kind of pivot and move with things as they're happening. Um, do you, as a leader, do you think that empathy is something you can teach? You know, when you look at your team, um, you do know, people what? have it or they don't. I think they have it or they don't. You know, I think one of the things we've done a really great job at BASF over the years is really a focus on talent development and focus on how important that role of the supervisor is. Because think about your careers, right? Think about every single boss you've had, how important that boss was in terms of how you felt about yourself, your job, your life, the company, right? You can have this great company, but you know, if, if you have a terrible boss, um, it affects everything. It's it, it, it just right. It, 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 it infects everything. And so we've done a really great job in sort of focusing on the role of the supervisor. And there's lots of tools and there's lots of training and all of that. And you could read books and you could take courses, you know. But, but in the end, if you don't have that empathy and that caring for people, you can't, you can't, you can't teach that. Not at all. And at the end of the day, business is people and relationships, isn't it? You can't get anything done if if people are not working well and meshing together. Right. Or if there's no trust. Yes. Right? Yes. It's really important. Yeah. You know, a lot of companies today have this new um, work environment where it's open. And we do too. Do you? (laughs) You know, I've I've been to some offices where the, the CEO of the company puts himself right in the middle of the room and all of the employees are there, um, you know, so that they can collaborate together. Do you, do you think that's a good way to go about business, or do you think there should be a little bit of a separation? Well, I mean, I, I think that's the wave of the future, having that, that open office environment. Yeah. You know, the theory is, uh, you know, letting the sunlight in, open spaces for for collaboration, you know, et cetera. 
Um, I, you know, I think at times it can be a distraction um, if there's a lot of noise or, you know, if someone is eating something smelly sitting in the <laughs> desk next to you or something like that. Yes, there's some logistical problems you know, and, but there. At, um, you know, you can't have an argument with your husband on the phone at work. You know, that's, that's right. you know, that's for sure. Those yeah. kinds of things. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, it's interesting. The, the millennials love it, right? They, you know, the, um, I have a daughter, she's in her twenties and she's in the creative field in, in Manhattan and it's just all out there and open. And, and I said to her, do you ever just wish you had five minutes of privacy during your day? And, oh no, we love, we love this. It's, it's collaboration is everything and, you know, working together. And, and there are areas where they right. can go if they need a little bit of privacy or quiet. Right. I think it's all what you're used to. It, that you is know. exactly true. They're growing up in such a completely different era than yeah. we did. Um, but it is living in a bubble. You know, I, I do have an office that has, you know, a glass front. So, uh, and I don't, I don't know, um, my, uh, I don't know if my controller Claire is, is listening, but it was really funny because um, Claire has shoulder length hair, you know, fairly like straight at the bottom. And I was having, you know, my, my, one of my regular meetings with her. So she has her back to the glass door and she had just gotten her hair cut, and I just I noticed there were a couple like ends like sticking out. And I was like, hold on a minute. I got my scissor and I started trimming her hair. And everybody in the office was looking at like, are what they is going on in there? And only a, in there? only a woman would help another woman out like that. <laughs> so, right? yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, tell me, you know, um, we just have a couple of minutes left. The, the last few minutes, I'd love to know. Um, you know, your advice to young women, it's so, so important that we are not only providing resources and support and education to women who already have careers, but getting the right messaging to young women today. Um, and I'm sure that you do some of those things in, in the organization that you work in. Just talk about that for a few minutes, what you think those messages should be. What's the most important things that we can be saying to women, young women, to not only tell them they can be whatever they want to be, but also to pursue leadership so they really make a difference in whatever field they go into. Absolutely. I think, I mean, you've, you've pretty much said it all there. I think, you know, when you when you look at, at STEM and, and STEP fields, strongly encourage um, girls, young women to, to go into those for a number of different reasons. Um, number one, you can have a job where you can really change the world, Okay. Um, I would say you can you can make a great a great a great living. Um, don't sell yourself short. You know, be be confident. Um, pick the right partners, um, and 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 make you know life is short, so you know make sure it's fun. You know, if, if it's not fun and you, and you don't feel comfortable, then move on and move on to a different company or in, into a different career. You know, et cetera. But uh, you know, my, another favorite quote is is. Um, I, I work to live. I don't live to work. So I do. I love my job. I, I feel a great sense of satisfaction, but I also very much enjoy not working, you know, as well in, in my spare time. I have lots of interests. And um, what is your I didn't even get to ask you that. I always <laughs> love to know what you know when you're not working. What are, what's your favorite thing to do? Well, um, Sleep is okay. <laughs> one of them, you know. Which That's I a good one. I'm usually very, very early mornings for me. Um, I like to exercise. Um, my husband and I are golfers. We like to travel. We have lots of friends, so we like we love to entertain. Um, I, you know, I, you know, when I when I was little, I actually wanted to be a veterinarian because I really loved animals. But I think I, it wouldn't be the right thing for me because I I get really sad, you know, when I see, I, I don't oh. know, I, there's a bad part of being a veterinarian too, but, yeah, yeah. you know, um, so my, our family is our five cats, okay. so <laughs> Very you know, love well, they animals. Bring, they bring complete unconditional love, those yeah, animals. Absolutely. So, listen, I thank you so much thank for coming in today and being with me live in the studio, and I wish you continued success thank you, in all that you Enjoyed do. That's it. it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. Again, my name is Sue Rocco, and I hope you'll uh, check out our website for all things related to the show at womentowatch.net. Have a great week, everyone.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.